0: this thing on cuz it's getting ready to be on
1: hey! hello everybody and welcome to Bell Ringer my name is Greg your guest name today is John Scannell the CEO of moog a huge company with thousands of employees all over the globe based right here in the Buffalo Niagara region they're a major employer here and a great corporate citizen John and I talk about the reasons why Moog was able to succeed here in Buffalo and beyond. Um, and he brings a really cool kind of global perspective to the conversation of what Buffalo should do next. So thanks to him for his time and for yours in listening. For, for those that don't know, what is Moog? So Moog is a public company.
0: We were founded in 1951, so 70 years ago, by a gentleman by the name of Bill Moog, Um. There's actually people, when they hear the name, at least for those of us that are a little bit older, there was a synthesizer that was developed back in the 60s and 70s, which was very famous, and it was called the Moog synthesizer. It was the first real music synthesizers. I think it was used on the Beatles, um, um, Sergeant Pepper's album, although I'm not sure. Anyway, a lot of older folks say, oh, you're the synthesizer company, and it turns out we're not. We have nothing to do with those folks, so (laughs) that's the disclaimer. But... So we're about um, about a $3 billion company, headquartered in New York. Belmont founded the, the business here. And our area of focus is on high-end motion and fluid control systems. And the way the company got started is that back in World War II, um, naval ships had anti-aircraft guns. And the purpose of an anti-aircraft gun was if there was an incoming airplane shooting at the ship, you would fire at it and hopefully you damage it and it would fly off and it would fall into the sea. But it turned out that anti-aircraft guns had no value against kamikaze pilots, because even if you damaged the airplane, you couldn't take it out of its flight trajectory, and it would crash into the ship, and you'd lose the ship. So after World War II, there was a big effort to develop what was called a surface-to-air missile that you could fire at the incoming airplane, and it would blow it out of the sky. And one of the big challenges with a missile like that is how do you steer the missile? You have fins at the back, and you've got to move them very quickly. And so one of the things that was required was high-speed steering. And Bill Moog worked for Cornell Labs at the time, which was based in Buffalo. And he developed a servo, a hydraulic servo valve, which was used to steer the fins. And that's how the company started. But, um, Cornell Labs did not want to commercialize it. Bill said, can I take it and start a little company? And he started a tiny little company out here in East Aurora. And that's where we're still headquartered today. And we've taken that technology, and we now uh, apply it in lots of different markets, defense, space, industrial, um, medical. Um, and one of the, an example in 1969, when the Apollo rocket went to the moon, there were three different stages in the rocket. And when you, when you've, um, when you have a rocket, you have to control the, the motion of the rocket by adjusting the base of the rocket, what they call the aft skirt. And so the three stages had controls for essentially steering the rocket. And Moog here in East Aurora made all the actuators for all three stages that put men on the moon. Um, and we still do stuff on the International Space Station. We are on the, we'd are we be on the next NASA launch to the moon. Um, so we do stuff that is very, very difficult to do. It's incredibly high precision, um, and it's a credit to the engineering team here and elsewhere around the world that does it. So, so that's what we do. It's a really exciting place to be. And if you're an engineer, Moog is by far the best thing to do in Western New York. <laughs>
1: So you know, take that fascinating technology and that that origin story. Fast forward it to today. Obviously, you're a global company. You mentioned based here in Western New York. Give people a sense of the scale: how many employees in Western New York, maybe across the globe, things like that, so people can kind of understand the breadth of Moog's reach. So we have
0: worldwide. We have about thirteen thousand employees, about three billion dollars in sales. Um, we're in about 26 different countries. Within the US, about half of our our staff is in the US and half that is outside of the US. Um, If I look at the big facilities outside of the US, we have a large facility with about a thousand people in the Philippines. We have facility, uh, large um, operations in the UK. We've got several facilities there with over a thousand people, about a thousand people in Germany. And then we have facilities in China, Japan, India, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, the Netherlands, Italy, Um, Spain, France, lots and lots of different places. Um, So that's our size. And then in in the States, we probably have about 20 plus facilities around in various parts of the States, some larger, some smaller. And here in Western New York, where we're headquartered, we have almost 4,000 people. So we have a very big operation here. We're based on a campus out in East Aurora. We have 300 acres. It's an absolutely beautiful campus. We have walking trails for our employees around the campus. Obviously not in today's weather, but in the nice weather, Folks will go out walking around lunchtime. And if you walk around the whole, you kind of get, there's a, a loop around the entire campus. It's a, it's a three point it's something mile loop. It's actually about a 5K. If you wanted to do a five kilometer run, you just have to run around our campus. So it's absolutely gorgeous. But about 4,000 people, probably close to half of those would be engineers of various types. And, but we also do have production. We've got machine shops. We've got assembly and test. And most of what we make here is either used for the space business, for satellites or launch vehicles, or else, on various types of military aircraft. That's the largest part. But we also do some industrial work here in East Aurora.
1: So the company started here in Western New York and has reached the scale that you just mentioned. In your eyes, as uh, you know, the leader of this company and a leader of advanced manufacturing in Western New York. What do you think are the benefits of doing business in Buffalo Niagara?
0: Um, so. A couple of things. First of all, because you know, we started here, this is where the company is headquartered. And so we've built here. Um, so you know, if we hadn't started here, would we have automatically come here? I don't know. But we have built here and we've continued to invest here. And even over the years, as we have also set up production facilities in other parts of the world, we have constantly continued to invest in Western New York. And just last year, um, we opened a brand new building. We spent over $40 million uh, on a new investment here, and we continue to make significant investments here. Um, in terms of um, the workforce and the, you know, the capabilities that you have, one of the things I think that you have in Western New York is to some extent, a little bit like Greg, you described yourself. You have a little bit of a captive um, audience in that there's a lot of folks who want to be here um, because, because they're from here. I, I'm the only one that I know of because my wife is Irish as well, I'm Irish. Who doesn't have some relation or pull to the the area? Every time I meet somebody at Moog and they say they they're originally from, pickett, California or Denver or anywhere, and that they've moved to Buffalo. I say, well, do you have a friend or a partner or a significant other who's from Buffalo? And they say, oh yeah, 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 I, but or I went to, I went to school here and I and I stayed here. So if you're here, it's wonderful. I think it's a wonderful place to bring up children. It's the cost of living is very affordable. We don't have the traffic problems that you have in the big cities. Um, and if you can get a job with a company like Moog, if you're an engineer and you, you're looking for really exciting engineering work, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley. What we do is the very leading edge of the types of in the areas that we're involved. In. We make the absolute best stuff in the world. So there's this wonderful opportunity with the talent that wants to be here to take advantage of that. And I think if we were in Boston or you know in Silicon Valley or someplace, you have this competition for talent with all of these other companies, which drives costs up, which drives the cost of living up, which drives people and they jump around. And so by being here and, and really investing for the long term here, I think we, we have the advantage that there is wonderful talent here, like there is in most places. And you just have to um, tap into that talent and then give people a really interesting job and a really interesting thing to do. And, and one of the things that we do at Mo, we, one of our mottos is we want to be a great place to work. We actually want to be hopefully the best place that anybody has ever worked, that they, when they come, they'll stay. And so a lot of the people here particularly, but most of our facilities around the world have spent a very long time with the company because when they join, they join because of the interesting technology. And then they stay because interesting jobs and the culture of the company is all about working together, confidence, trust in each other, and doing really neat things. And so most people stay for a very long time. And and that's wonderful. So you have this stability in the workforce as well. So I think all of those are, are reasons. It, it is less expensive here than it is in California, obviously, um, that's, a, that's a good thing. But, but it is a question of taking advantage of those folks who want to be here rather than trying to get folks coming from other parts of the country. Every time, you know, every now and again, we've gone out and we've done a search for maybe a, a very specific um, capability. And if we get folks that are coming from it doesn't matter, Denver, Boston, unless they have a draw to Western New York, some kind of a personal draw, um, they're likely not to come. They'll go through the whole interview and at the end of it, they'll say, oh, it's in Buffalo, oh, I'm not coming to Buffalo. This is after we've already brought them here and we've showed them the facilities. and um, Because you know the notion is that Buffalo just knows the whole time. Now, of course, now that we have a winning football team, that's gonna change, but. Um, So, so there's this, people just have this image of Buffalo and it's not really, it's not always a positive one because the only time we're in the news is when we got a big snow dump. But if people are either from here or they know about Buffalo, they have a connection, they're very willing to come. And then you take advantage of that and, and give them great opportunities. So,
1: well, as, as you mentioned, you yourself are someone that lived across the world and, and relocated to Western New York for a job opportunity without that, you know, personal connection. Um, it, you know, I'm, you're not doing the direct hiring and pitching to these folks, but if you were, what would your kind of sales pitch be to someone that doesn't have a connection, you know, m- maybe beyond a, a playoff run from the bills as someone that <laughs> w- lived around the world with stints and, you know, Ireland and Germany is, is now here. What's your elevator pitch to someone?
0: Yeah, I, I would say um, whatever preconceived notions you have of Buffalo, they're probably wrong. Actually, where we have have had real success is in bringing people from abroad who don't have the U.S., haven't grown up around the U.S. and had this notion of, oh, Buffalo, it's always snowing, it's always cold, Buffalo's not a good place to be, Buffalo's a dying city, you know, Midwestern city. Folks that, we've got folks from the U.K. who've come here, we've got folks from Germany that have come here, lots of different parts of the world, and they're actually excited to come here, um, and so they don't have that notion. But if you grew up in the U.S., Detroit is another great example. Folks say, oh my God, you're not going to go to Detroit. And then, of course, there are wonderful parts of Detroit and there's great places in Buffalo. And my pitch would be, first of all, don't believe everything that you've heard. Um, second, it is a wonderful place to ha- have a family, bring up children. Um, there's good schools. It's a big enough city that you have access to galleries and theaters and sports and you know all of those things that a, a bigger city will offer you. But it's a small enough city that you do not have the traffic and the commute. So you can pick wherever you'd like to live around Buffalo, Northtown, Southtowns, wherever you'd like to live. And you'd still be only 20 minutes to 30 minutes from work, no matter where you live. One or two days a year, there's going to be a snowstorm. But by the way, they're really, the forecast is incredibly accurate and they're incredibly well set up to deal with a snowstorm. So if it happens, you'd be good. You'd still be able to drive to work at seven or eight o'clock because they'll have cleared the roads. Um, so you've got good schools, and it's very affordable. You know, if you're living in San Francisco, you're going to be living in a small apartment, and um, you know, with uh, you know a thousand square feet, you can come to Buffalo and for the same money, you can have a two and a half thousand square foot house in suburbia with a yard. Or if you want, you can go buy a farm with fifty acres. You know, a couple of miles outside of you know of the country, and so you have this all this opportunity. And your kids, it's it's safe. It's um, as I say, it's a great place to raise raise children and it has the advantages of a city without the the disadvantages of a huge city. So um so that would be my pitch and then of course I would also pitch the fact that if you're coming to our company at least hopefully what you're going to do is going to be world class work. This is not come to buffalo second you know second city so that you're going to be doing second class work. What we do we are the world leader in the stuff we do. We put people on the moon we've we've been a part of landers on Mars. I mean we make we all the airplanes you fly and have our stuff that controls the the flight controls the actuation what we do is world leading and so you as an engineer you've got this world leading opportunity in a city that's got the advantages of a city but not the disadvantages of a huge city so that's i guess that's the pitch i would make but the first thing is you got to get that notion that you have in your head out of your head just it's that's not true and come and visit come see us um in the summer, of course, we only bring people in the summer, but <laughs> come visit us, see what it's like. Let's show you the schools. Let's show you the housing. Let's show you what it's like to be here. And then, then try to keep an open mind and then maybe you'll decide.
1: Yeah, you, you talk about that perception that people have of Buffalo. And I think you know, that can be true within our industry as well. Um, you know, People think of Buffalo as a Rust Belt you know, manufacturing city. And I think in a lot of ways, Moog is at least an anecdote counter to that argument. You know, you're an advanced manufacturing company, but, you know, we talked before I hit record about my visit around your campus. You talked about the culture um, and the amount of engineering and mid and high-skilled employees that you have. As a business leader in Western New York, as a leader in advanced manufacturing, a member of our board, um, trying to attract new companies. What types of companies and within what industries do you think should be moving to Buffalo, taking advantage of these you know, unique benefits that we might have and, and could succeed?
0: So, uh, to answer that, Craig, let me go back to what happened in, in Ireland, which is where I'm from, who, um, and what they did in terms of trying to attract uh, investment and, and companies. And, and there are some parallels with Buffalo. Um, Ireland is, a, In total, it's about 4 or 5 million people, you know, Buffalo's maybe a million plus. So even in terms of scale, it's, it's Western New York is probably as big as, you know, as Ireland in terms of the scale. And way back in the 70s, when I was, when I was growing up in the 60s and the 70s, it, it was a very rural, it was a quite a poor area. And so the government invested a lot of money in trying to attract companies in, and they wanted to attract manufacturing jobs. There was a kind of a pitch that we're a relatively in Europe, low-cost manufacturing and they offered tremendous tax advantages. They would give a decade of no taxes. And what happened was they, they were succeeded. They actually also built factories. They literally built empty buildings so that when you came, it wasn't a shovel-ready site. It was, you can move into this building. You do, all you have to do is arrive. But what happened was that companies came, they put in manufacturing, various types, semiconductor manufacturing, lots of stuff, spent the 10 years, and then they left as soon as the tax rate broke down. The only companies that stayed, were the ones that also invested in local intellectual property, be it product development or process development or some, some sets of capabilities. And, and, and after the 70s that, that we, the, and the 80s that the, com- the country learned that lesson, they really shifted to, we want to bring in high-tech industry where we're also doing, we're not just doing the manufacturing, we're doing the research, we're doing the development, we're doing the, the next generation of stuff. So that when people think of, well, could I pick up my factory and move it somewhere else because I can get, you know, a, a buck an hour cheaper rate? Turns out, no, we can't. We can't move this engineering team. We can't look at how much capability we have there. And the poster child for that is a company called Analog Devices, which is a U.S. company which set up in Ireland in 1975, and is still there because they had a development team. They hired local talent, and Ireland, very much like Buffalo, you know, there's a lot of people that want to stay in Ireland, and every place has good talent if you can just, you know, cultivate it. Um, and they stayed and they've continued to stay and continue to grow and continue to flourish. And in the meantime, dozens of companies have come and gone. So I think for Buffalo, it's the same story. You really want that intellectual property anchor that says, this is what's gonna keep us here because we've got such talent. And as we talked about, the talent here is relatively inexpensive by comparison with somewhere else. And one of the interesting things that we've learned, Greg, at Moog even in the last couple of years is we've started to get involved in new areas, new innovation areas, kind of leading some, some um, areas that we've not done before around autonomy and electric vehicles. And so we've been looking to partner in this kind of new ecosystem with other companies. And so we partnered with a small company a startup out in Silicon Valley, who were doing some stuff that we thought was really interesting. And what we learned over a year or two, we spent a little bit of money with them and turned out it was more difficult to partner with them with it, we thought, and the work that they were doing, we decided, well, we kind of have to do that in parallel. And when we started, we thought that this is like the the, the grass is greener. Well, we thought the talent is greener. You know, these folks in Silicon Valley, look at their resumes. Oh my gosh, they've done all these wonderful things. They must be so much smarter than we are here in, 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 you know, sleepy Buffalo. And because of the need to do it, our folks ended up doing something in parallel. We discovered, you know, we can do that stuff too. It turns out we're actually pretty good too. We don't, so is there capabilities and skills that we don't necessarily have? Yeah, maybe, but actually we can learn that stuff too. And so that talent that, that talent that you have in you know locally is really important. And one of the real positives about Buffalo, again, a little bit like Ireland, is we had a wonderful education system, and Buffalo has so many wonderful universities, and therefore folks that have been here, so that myth of it just snows in Buffalo is perhaps not there. And you want to take advantage of that, provide industries, whether it's high-end manufacturing or it's pharmaceuticals or you know, any of these industries that have a future. But you're using that local graduate talent that in, and generating intellectual property, that to me is the is the key to long term success
1: right, yeah, I was on a uh, panel webinar earlier today. They were talking about the future of cities, and the three kind of prerequisites that they said would would determine which cities win and lose kind of these talent wars, and especially out of the pandemic and change of change towards remote work was. Uh, a good airport, a good research university, and a developed waterfront. And it sounds like kind of that's exactly what you're speaking to, to kind of create that stickiness with with companies, especially with the research universities and, and talent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because those folks already, you know, most folks that go to UB think, yeah, this is a pretty good place. We've had folks that have gone to UB, you know, come from India, done a master's or a, a PhD at UB, and then they join Moog and then they stayed with us because UB was their entry point and UB has an incredible number of foreign students. So what you now have is you've got this pool of unbelievable talents. So it's not just Western New York talent or U.S. talent, particularly as they get within the engineering ranks to the postgraduate degrees. They have an enormous number of folks from other countries. And so you have a, access to a pool that is it's similar to the pool that you're going to get in Silicon Valley or in Boston or elsewhere. And so those are the folks that are perhaps interested in staying and could form the basis of an economy that's, you know, has real longevity.
1: Over the last few months on on this podcast, I've talked with a bunch of leaders, specifically in in startups and entrepreneurship that spoke to the advantages that they might have um, in the times of a pandemic, as far as their malleability and ability to, um, you know, pivot quickly. How do you as the leader of, you know, this really, really large company, um, how have you been able to, you know, pivot with the new times of COVID and kind of make the best out of a bad situation?
0: Um, So uh, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. So a year ago um, on Friday, I think it was Friday, it was, it was Friday the 13th of March. So it was almost a year ago. I was traveling back from a um, seminar that I was at in Chicago for a couple of days. And when I was at the seminar, um, folks were talking that quite a few people, particularly from the West Coast, hadn't turned up, like 25 percent of the folks that were maybe supposed to be 100 folks there and maybe 25 didn't turn up because of this pandemic. And, I, you know, we were hearing about this COVID thing, but I was doing it. Like, people didn't come because of the pandemic. That seems a little odd. As I'm getting off the airplane and the return to Chicago, um, I'm in the line waiting for my bag and I'm hearing the guy in front of me saying, yeah, we're not traveling anymore. And the guy behind me is saying, yeah, we shut everything down. And that's when it was like oh we gotta we gotta change gears here i'm just we, we gotta change gears and so we had meetings over the weekend at the management level and on the tuesday it was the 17th of march and if you're irish that's a, a very significant day because it's saint patrick's day we i had a video with all of the managers and supervisors around the world for four or five hundred people and i said look folks um, you know this pandemic is upon us and we got to change so we need everybody that can to work from home from friday tuesday to friday that is we probably 7,000 people need to start working from home by Friday. And that's what happened. Everybody learned how to do it at an incredible pace. Normally, Greg, if we were to say, if, if I were to, if somebody said to me, John, I want half of your workforce to start working from home. How long would that take you to organize? I'd say, well, we better do a study and then we're gonna do a pilot and then we're gonna do a test site and then we're gonna re- refine it. Maybe three years if we're lucky and, and we have gotta make sure the <laughs> IT infrastructure works. And, but we did it in three days, because because we had to, we felt like, and we changed the, um, people, you know, the protection internally. We set two simple priorities, first and foremost, say health and safety of all of our employees and their families, number one priority, nothing else came close. Second one, we got to continue to service our customers and keep the business going because that's how we're gonna to continue to pay our folks so that they also are financially secure. But those were the two priorities and they have stick with us throughout the nine months. So we pivoted in three days to send half our workforce home because out of, out of need. And what's what's been really interesting is, uh, you know, I have the, the the title of CEO, but what I've been doing and, and the, my, the, my senior staff is we are kind of set in direction and policy, but we're also saying, you know, if you're in California or you're in China or you're in India or you're in, you know, the Czech Republic, you got to take this guidance and then you got to turn that into what makes sense for you locally based on the local conditions, regulations, all of these things. And so leadership happens all the way down through the organization. And when you get down to that level, you have a really small group of folks who are responding to a challenge that they've been given, um, in this case, the COVID challenge, and they're making decisions quickly and effectively locally, while keeping in mind this this broad policy, we're not traveling, we're not gonna have visitors, but all those kind of make sense. And so you can act like a small company because at the level that you're making the tactical day-to-day decisions, it's groups of 10, 20, 30, 40 people. It's the same size as a startup, and I think, that's what's happened. Actually, big every big company has learned that they can turn on a dime in this whole COVID that we none of us could have ever imagined. I could never have imagined it, Greg. So I think we've, uh, we did that. The advantage that we have over the startup is we also have tremendous momentum and we have businesses across a diverse range of industries that have continued to operate. And so um, we can absorb a, a, a hit like this. And we've been lucky because 60 percent of our business has actually been stronger through the, the pandemic, we've had a couple of businesses We're in the commercial aircraft business, we sell products to Boeing and Airbus, that's way down, over 50%. But we've got a big defense business that's actually up. Uh, we've got a space business that's up. We have a medical business that's up. So we have the advantage of size and momentum and over the startup where if you're in that particular piece and if that falls apart, you're in big trouble. So there's advantages and disadvantages. Startups clearly can move extremely quickly, but I think in response to the pandemic, we, um, we moved very quickly.
1: Great. Well, really uh, appreciate you being so gracious with your time and your commitment to Western New York. Before I let you go, we always end on a couple of hard-hitting blizzard round questions. So I will start with, if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? <laughs> Greg,
0: I'm going to fail all of these. Uh, <laughs> I'd be vanilla, Greg. There you go. (laughs)
1: Booker Booker TV show that you'd recommend.
0: Oh, uh, so this is very this is uh, politically correct, but if you want to watch a TV show, there's an Irish show called The Dairy Girls. I don't know if have you seen it, Greg. I have not, no. It's a series, there's two two things, they're half-hour episodes. It's uh it's how people speak it out, and it is very funny. But I take no responsibility. Do not show it to your children first. It's very (laughs) funny, it's about girls in a Catholic high school in the north of Ireland during the troubled times when there was a lot of security there, but it's very funny. It's called the Derry, D-E-R-R-Y girls. Derry is a city in the north of Ireland.
1: Perfect. Um, text or phone call?
0: Text or phone call if, in what respect?
1: Which would you prefer to receive?
0: Phone calls are always better because you talk to somebody directly as their are to text.
1: Okay. Um, what do you prefer, bills or sabers?
0: <laughs> Given that I grew up playing both those sports and know so much about them. Uh I <laughs> I I I have I I guess I I have more of an appreciation of the Bills um but I you know I, I my interest is that you know success for the city. I think the city could do with a a winning team and it feels like you know the Bills did really well this year and so that's always exciting. Um the Sabres I because I never played hockey it looks a little bit um somewhat random to me a little bit more random than the football side of it it's just and I know over time there's tremendous talent there but and it's an exciting game it's an incredibly exciting game hockey but um, if you ask me would you go to a Bills game or a a hockey game I'd probably take the Bills game first assuming that they're winning
1: (laughs) right and that it's not too bad a weather (laughs) that's right (laughs) Um, how about hiking or skiing
0: Uh, I I like both, but uh, age means that skiing is more challenging than hiking, but I prefer if I were, you know, if I had the option and I was um, a younger man like you, Greg, I'd be preferring skiing.
1: And last question, most important, uh, buffalo chicken wings, drumstick or flat? Uh,
0: The flat one is the the one with the No, I don't like the drumsticks. It's the other one I prefer.
1: (laughs) Okay, flat.
0: (laughs) Medium, medium, please.
1: Medium. That's my pick too. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it.
0: Great, thank you for your time
1: too. I enjoyed it. Bellringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's privately funded nonprofit marketing and economic development organization. Please rate this podcast, follow our social media channels and read our blog at buffaloniagara.org for the best of Buffalo Niagara. Come grow your business with us.